I have a message for you this morning entitled, Which Brother Are You? Which brother are you? Now, brother in this situation is metaphoric and understood. It doesn't, it, you sisters might be going, well, what about us? No, this is not a men's ministry message. Turn your Bibles with me, please, to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15. Oh, I love the sound of Bible pages turning. They ought to have something on your app. So when you, you know, you're, when you swipe, that it sounds like a page turning. Wouldn't that be cool? That would be awesome. Yeah, that would be awesome. Yeah. <laughs> Amen. Luke chapter 15, I'm going to start with verses, start it with verse 11. Here we go. To illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. The younger son told his father, I want my share of your estate now before you die. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his two sons. A few days later, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. About the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land, and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him, and the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him, but no one gave him anything. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare, and here I am dying of hunger. Verse 18, I will go home to my father and say, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. So he returned home to his father, and while he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Verse 22. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we have been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he's fine, found. And so the party began. Meanwhile, everybody say meanwhile. meanwhile. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. And when he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house. And he asked one of the servants what was going on. Your brother's back, he was told, and your father has killed the fattened calf. We are celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry and would not go in. His father came out and begged him, but he replied, All these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to do. And in all that time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast 
with my friends. Yet when this son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. His father said to him, look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he is found. Wow, what a great story in the Bible. Now, prodigal is an interesting word that, quite frankly, we seldom use in our everyday vocabulary. In fact, I don't believe that I ever even say the word prodigal unless I'm referring to the story of the prodigal son. Uh, but I want you to look even closer, though, at the words of Jesus when he introduced this parable. He said in verse 11, a man had two sons. Now, it is interesting to me that, at least in all of my life around church and preaching, the, the message always seems to focus on the one son, as though he is somehow the main character of this whole story. But Jesus made it very clear when he began to tell this parable that he was talking about more than one son. A man had two sons. So like I said, by all appearances, it seems that the storyline, the main character, is the younger son who lived this wild lifestyle. However, the parable is more than just one main character. There's three main characters in this story. There's the father, there's the younger son, and then there's the older son. The younger son, of course, is labeled the prodigal son. Uh, I submit to you today that there's more than one prodigal son in the storyline. Um, one because of rebellion, and one because of self-righteousness. So... Again, we rarely use this word prodigal. Maybe some of us in the room that don't actually even know the exact definition. I love to study words and look up words in the dictionary. And uh, often when I look up a word, uh, it'll lead me to other words that then send me on a rabbit trail down words uh, to try to figure out their definitions and such. But the English definition of the word prodigal is this. And there's probably plenty of us in the room, predominantly women, You don't even know what I'm going to say yet. <laughs> a, uh, who fit this definition. Are you ready? A person who spends or has spent his or her money on substance with wasteful extravagance. Now, that's not just women. But, you know, women do have the anointing to shop. Right? In fact, Diane has... Uh, anointed me to shop, praise God, you know, and so, uh, but here's an interesting fact, I don't know if you knew this, because I, I, I really, I didn't, I don't know why I did not know this, but the word prodigal only appears one time in the entire Bible, and then only in one translation, and that would be the New King James Version, at least in my research, it's the only translation that I could find. Other translations use phrases like wild living, reckless living, riotous living, loose living, and then here's what took me on a bunny trail to look up another word, living dissolutely. 
I know, dissolutely. I went, well, a sweet word, but I have no clue what dissolutely means, right? And so um, this word prodigal comes from a Greek word, and I'm going to get to dissolutely in a minute. Um, and it's asotos, A-S-O-T-O-S, which, again, only shows up one time in the entire Bible. And that's in this story, this parable. And asotos is rendered wasteful, riotous, and this, this is where I took my journey with the other word, because the, the Greek word in the, the Strong's Concordance is defined as wasteful, riotous, and guess what? Dissolute. Oh, hmm. Now that word's shown up twice. So I guess I better take a journey and actually discover what dissolute. So I can imagine that we can all wrap our brains around uh, words like wasteful, we can wrap our brains around words like riotous, but what about this word dissolute? This is what the word dissolute means. Indifferent to moral restraints. That's the definition of this word dissolute. Indifferent to moral restraints. So if you really want to kind of put a label of prodigal on the prodigal, or in this case, we're going to say the younger son, it would be that he had no moral boundaries, no moral restraints in life. It gave me a different imagery automatically as I began to study and write out this message. So, okay, okay, start off again. A man had two sons. One squandered everything. Yes, he squandered it with wasteful living, reckless living, loose living. He squandered it with amoral. Amoral is no morals. And, and, and yet all of our focus has been on the sinner. Because we can identify his horrible, egregious wrongs. And therefore, now you need to know that the Bible in its origin was not separated into chapter and verse. And there were no subtitles. Huh? Man put subtitles on it. So man put all their focus on this one son. Now, if the story had been only about the one son, Jesus would not have introduced his parable with, a man had two sons. So we're going to shift our focus just a little bit this morning. So, uh, yeah, it may seem that he's the main character uh, but he's certainly not the old, only character, as I said, because we have the father, we have the younger son, and we have the older son, or we have the younger son who was a rebellious son. And then we had the older son who, who really kind of bragged to his dad, hey, I've been good all this time. Huh? So his wrong was self-righteousness. So to understand more about the self-righteous son... We need to take a little Torah time. Those of you who have ever done Torah time with me, uh, the rest of you, you'll have to end up in discipleship training. But first you have to sign up for class one and class two. Ah! <laughs> oh! <There. laughs> um, so we need to explore the audience that Jesus was speaking to that day. Okay, that's important to this parable, because Jesus only gave parables when he wanted to tell a story that illustrated something that was right in front of him, okay? 
So I want us to remember this. This is number one on your paper. Parable is another interesting word. We don't use that. I, I don't ever use it in uh, you know, everyday language. A parable is this. It's a short, allegorical story designed to illustrate or, see, or teach some truth, religious principle, or moral lesson. Okay? So here's Jesus, and he spoke a lot through parables, which again are short allegorical stories that are designed to illustrate or teach a truth, religious principle, or moral lesson. So it's always important when you read the Bible to not just read it with eyes of what does it mean to me right now? Because you also need to read it with, okay, what did it mean to the people Jesus was talking to then? And then you mix that with what it means right now, and you're going to get a full picture of what Jesus is trying to say. In fact, when I begin to share with you now in these next few minutes about who his audience was, you'll begin to go, boy, I can see why he dropped the mic on that parable at that time to those that were listening to him in that moment. So... Who was the audience that day when Jesus told this story? So turn with me to Luke. Oh, wait, I'm going to Luke chapter, yeah, Luke chapter 15. We go back to verse 1. Are you ready? This is how it starts. Tax collectors, which according to the Jewish people were the most vile of sinners. But look at this. And other Notorious sinners. That means they had a reputation. Huh? Came to listen to Jesus teach. So who was in his audience? Tax collectors and notorious sinners. Rebellious sons. Huh? And then it says, this made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people. So the other people that were at his, uh, his little church service that day were the Pharisees. So quite frankly, in Jesus' audience that day, as he shared this parable, this story about two sons, there were two sons in front of him. The rebellious son and the self-righteous son. You'll find that out in a minute when we kind of take a look a little bit at the Pharisees. Turn your Bible with me. Oh, never mind. We already did that one. All right, here's the definition of the word Pharisee. Are you ready? Now, I might have to read it a couple times. A member of an ancient Jewish sect distinguished by strict observance of the traditional and written law. Everybody say religious. They were really religious. And commonly held to have pretensions to superior sanctity. Self-righteous. Better than thou. Holier than thou. So let me read that again. A Pharisee, remember that was in this storyline, the older brother. A member of an ancient Jewish sect distinguished by strict observance of traditional and written law. And commonly held to have pretensions of holier than thou, better than thou, superior sanctity. So in other words, 
better than you. I'm holier than you because I observe all of the rituals of church. I'm better than you because I show up at the church every single time the doors are open. I'm better than you because I give an offering every week. I give an offer. I mean, I, I'm better than you because I at least come to the altar and worship God Almighty. Yeah, I say that that way because, you know, Pharisee would definitely add a W to the word God. God. Because that in and of itself is kind of pretentious, isn't it? Now turn with me to Luke chapter 18. See, I was so excited to get to this next passage, I almost turned us there two or three times already. So this is going to give you a better picture. Uh, in fact, the subtitle in this particular spot is the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector. Isn't that interesting? Which were also known as notorious sinners. So once again, here's a parable where the older son and the younger son are in the storyline. Right? Are you with me? Everybody with me? All right, starting with verse 9. Then Jesus told this story to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness and scorned everyone else. Two men went to the temple to pray. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. We could add to that, notorious sinner. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed this prayer. I thank you, God, that I'm not like other people, cheaters, sinners, adulterers, and I'm certainly not like that tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give you a tenth of my income. But the tax collector stood at a distance and dared not even lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, he beat his chest in sorrow, saying, Oh, God, be merciful to me, for I am a sinner. Tell, I, I tell you, Jesus says, I tell you, this sinner, this notorious sinner, this younger son, not the Pharisee, that self-righteous older son, returned home justified before God. So the one who returned home justified before God was the notorious sinner. For those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. So maybe already you get a little different snapshot of this parable, this story that by man's design we have decided to call the parable of the prodigal son. By all rights it should be called the parable of of two sons. Okay? So let's go back to the parable for a minute. So the scene starts with the younger son asking for his inheritance. The younger son is impatient for his inheritance and is, in essence, impatient for his dad to die. Because inheritances are not given out until the dad dies. 
You know, interest, that's, that's a part of our, even our American thinking. I mean, it is a highly offensive thing for a child to come to their parents and say, can I have my portion of the inheritance? Which is basically saying, I wish you were dead so I could have my portion of the inheritance. So this son got that. The father, actually the scripture says that he split the inheritance between the younger and the older. They both got exactly the same amount. And the younger son, of course we know the story, he went out and he squandered all his money pretty much in the blink of an eye. And uh, he did that with loose living. And he did it by running after temporary pleasures. And all of a sudden he found that he had nothing left, including his dignity. He didn't even have his dignity. I was a notorious sinner in my life. And I had been places in my life where I had lost everything, including my dignity. How many of y'all ever been there? Here's the, other, here's the other sad situation. I've also had times in my life when I was the older brother. And don't you look at me with that holier than thou look going, oh! So he's got nothing left. He decides to return home. And I suggest just by having a little understanding of human nature, he probably decided to return home because he goes, that's my only option. I don't have another option. The only place I can go is home. And he imagines that his dad will probably be sitting on the porch. And when his dad sees him, he probably imagines that his dad's going to hang his head and shake his head back and forth in disgust and disapproval. And he's probably going to expect that his dad's going to reject him. And why would I say that? Because he says, I just need to go to my dad and I need to say, I'm not even worthy to be your son. Uh, just make me a hired hand on your farm. Well, that's not what happened. His dad ran to him, embraced him, kissed him, and welcomed him home. And this is the number two. You need to understand this. Because this was in, in his own heart. The younger son had separated himself from his father. Are you with me? The older son was already separate from his father and didn't even know it. So number two is rebellion separates us from God. But we need to understand that self-righteousness equally separates us from God. So we have a tendency in our unfortunate human nature to see people different than us and judge them. To see people that don't fit our specific paradigm and somehow point the bony pharisaical finger and say, they are going to hell. Which they're just going to follow you is really what's going to happen. They're going to follow you. So the younger son separated himself from his father and he did that with reckless living. He did it with rebellious living. He did it with dissolute living, and we know it as prodigal living. Uh, the sin of the older son, though, was way much more subtle, way more insidious, and his was the sin of self-righteousness. Now, nowadays, tax collectors aren't considered necessarily notorious sinners, 
Well, I did give pause for a cause, so. <laughs> In that day and age, they were considered notorious sinners. Um, and yet churches are filled with self-righteous people. I shared with you all last week that if we want, if we want to make sure that revival is hindered, hindered, then we need to do everything we can to not address the sin in our life. Not repent of the sin in our life. Just keep doing what we're doing. Think we're better than the church down the road. Huh? Older brother. Quit looking at me like you want to throw a chicken at me. Just quit. <laughs> So in Jesus' in Jesus's audience, as he was sharing this parable, there were both sons there with him. The younger rebellious prodigal son listed in the text as, the, 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 uh, uh, as a tax collector, notorious sinner. That's what he was fit into in this parable. And the Pharisees uh, were like the self-righteous group of people. And they were very much a self-righteous group by definition. They had a superior state of sanctity or holier than anyone else because of all the good religious stuff that they do. And yet, interestingly enough, the, the younger son knew he was lost. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he had to come back to the Father. And he didn't even have the gumption to go, I'm one of the Father's sons. I'll just come back and move back into my room. No, he says, I'm not even worthy. He's like that other tax collector that we saw that stood away at a distance and beat his chest and said, I'm unworthy. I'm a sinner. Have mercy upon me, oh God. He knew he was a sinner. He knew he was wrong. He knew he needed God. He knew he needed forgiveness. And he knew how to humbly come before the Father and seek that forgiveness. And here was this preacher. This Pharisee, who basically stood up on a, probably a pedestal, who knows, maybe he had a pulpit. Oh, I'm so, I am so glad I'm not like Brian. Or, or I'm so glad that I'm not like Dale. And I'm really glad that I'm not like Michael. Those rock gut, notorious tax collecting sinners. I'm a preacher. I got a certificate on my wall that says so. Come on. I'll give you the few full view. There's a lot of self-righteousness going on right there, ain't there? Uh-huh, uh-huh. You know I'm joking. You better say amen. One, two, three. All right, cool. <laughs> so here's my question today. Which brother are you? Which brother are you? Just look to your neighbor to your right and say, which brother are you? Now I need you to look to your left, you know, your second choice. And, and, and say, which brother are you? <laughs> so
So I think it's kind of easy to see how a habitual and rebellious lifestyle such as partying and sleeping around leads us away from God. I think we all know that. Sinners know more about what is sin than church folks know about what is sin. Okay? You, you know, you could have a good, let's say you have a really good friend and uh, you work together and he knows that you're, you're from a spirit-filled church and you carry your Bible with you all the time. And then one day you both end up in the bar together and you're, you're sharing a beer. And he says to you, um, really? Uh, I didn't think Christians were supposed to do that. What's my point? Many times those that know they're sinners, they know it. And they're looking at those of us who think we know we're Christians. And they go, I, I didn't think that's what a Christian was supposed to do. Isn't that interesting? Sinners know more about what we're supposed to do than we know what we're supposed to do. So it's pretty easy to see how a, a habitual, rebellious lifestyle, such as partying, sleeping around, etc., 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 leads us away from God. It causes us to lead away from God. But it's not so easy to discern a heart that appears religious, but is far away from God. That's not, the easy, that's not easy to do. Number three on your paper, the rebellious brother is forgiven and welcomed back with open arms, while the self-righteous brother is on the outside looking in. Which brother are you? Again, the ladies don't think, man, he's sure getting after the men today. Brother is an understood word. Which one are you? So as I get ready to close, that's right, I'm getting ready to close. But I once heard a story that a good preacher has at least five closings. I think I only have one today. Well, that will depend upon you all. The truth is, is that we all at different times fall into one of these two categories. Every one of us. As I said earlier on, there's been times in my life where I was rebellious. And I was a notorious sinner. And there have been times in my life when I thought I was all that in a bag of pork rinds too. Which one are you? I'll say it to me. Which one am I? You see, we have to come to grips. If we want to position ourselves for a move of God, we have to come to grips with our current status. And quite frankly, I'd rather that we were all in a place where we recognized our unworthiness, our sinfulness, now, I'm not a guy who focuses on sin. That's not my, that's not my point, point today to go down a list of things and give you a definition of sin. But we are imperfect vessels, imperfect people. There's only one part of our being, our spirit being. If you have received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that part of who you are has been regenerated into perfection by the Holy Spirit, by the blood of Jesus, by the ultimate gift of the Lamb of God who died for you on a cross. That part of who you are is perfect in the eyes of God. 
But there's two other parts of who we are besides spirit, and that's soul. Soul is about our mind, our thinking, our will, our emotions, our goals, our plans. And then the other parts are our body, our earth suit. And I would be willing to bet, if I was a betting man, I'm not, but if I was a betting man, I'd be willing to bet that there's a lot of us in this room could, who could easily say, my mind and body ain't perfect. And a lot of you are going to make the mistake of going, yeah, and I'm not perfect spiritually either. But if you've accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and you're towing the line of what God wants you to do as a believer, then you are perfect in the eyes of God. And yet you still have a corrupt mind and a corrupt earth suit. That's why the Bible teaches us that we should be renewing our mind. Be transformed, it says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Be transformed. No, don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. So as long as I'm in this earth suit that is corrupt, I will have to be in the process of having my mind renewed. Renewed. Oh, I feel another pastoral punch coming on. Because, man, there are two classes in BSC that can help you renew your mind. And we, we'll be doing that for the rest of our lives, though. None of us ever reaches nirvana. There, as long as there's a heart beating in here and lungs that are inhaling and exhaling air, I will be constantly having to renew my mind. And take care of my body. I so, I'm so grateful I don't have to worry about my spirit. Who in essence I am a spirit man. Who has a soul and lives in a body. My spirit is perfect before, I, before God. And the more I renew my mind. The more I get in tune with the fact that God sees me perfect. And the way to walk that out is to constantly stay humble and say, Father, forgive me. I'm unclean. I'm not beating against the righteousness of God. I'm, I'm as clean as I'll ever get spiritually. But even Isaiah who had an encounter with the presence of God, he fell upon his face and said, Woe is me, a man undone of unclean lips. When he came into the Shekinah glory of God, what was the first thing he recognized about himself? The fact that he was a notorious sinner. Most of us are sinners saved by grace. But sinners, nonetheless. A lot of folks don't like that. But the moment I don't recognize my, the fact that I still have a, a... Now, the sinful nature, the carnal nature, no longer has the ability to control me. But I can sure invite it in. It no longer has this carte blanche ability to control me, no matter what I think, because I can have wrong thoughts and immediately invite that carnal nature back in. That's imperfect thinking. So the truth is, we all fall into one of these categories. And the sooner you come to grips with that, the better off you will be at positioning yourself for the outpouring and power of the Holy Spirit. 
Even after Jesus saves us, we all have tendencies to one or the other, the younger son or the elder son. The younger son knows he needs to repent, and the older son does not. You tell me which one seems worse. Think about it. To be so caught up in your sinfulness that you think you're holy, and yet at the same time for the other son to actually be holy, but recognize his sinfulness? Are you hearing me? I know there's a dichotomy there, but that's what we walk out in this life, knowing that by God's grace, by his forgiveness, by his mercy, we are made holy. We are not made holy by any of our actions or any of our doings. He did it at the cross of Calvary. And we became the righteousness of God at the cross of Calvary. And yet every one of us can look in the mirror and not see a righteous human being. Why? Because we're not seeing ourselves spiritually. We're seeing ourselves with our own eyes and we know what's going on up here I'll just be real with y'all today I'm sure you'd rather me tell you the truth than lie truth hurts so the older son and, and you see the younger son right the younger son is like he came to a point in life where he came to his senses that's what it says he, he came to his senses and he lifted his head and that kind of gives a picture that his head was in that pig slop like many of our heads are in the pig slop of culture and the pig slop of, of uh, everything else that's going on in our culture with same-sex marriage and LGBTQ and, and the number of other things that I could list out that are abominations to God. And I don't care if they cancel my YouTube. I'm going to tell you the truth. We've gotten so self-righteous that we consider ourselves holy while still totally messed up in blatant, opened, anti-Bible sin. We think it's good, and it's been incorporated into the church so much so that in this day and age, even, I mean, same-sex marriage is absolutely condoned in churches across America. Churches that you would never think that it happens. What's going on with our kids nowadays with having them make the gender transitions without any parental approval in fact, I can't remember, I read a news report even this morning about one place that's trying to create a law that says it's illegal for parents to even get involved in their child's uh, gender. How's that happen? Because of we're all so self-righteous. Now, I don't, listen, hear me, beloved. I don't walk around every day going, I'm such a sinner. No, I'm a son of God. I'm born again. I'm walking out my salvation with fear and trembling, which is what we're all supposed to do. Amen. None of us should walk around going. Let me get this. Makes it a little bit more. Oh, wait, 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 wait. Got my anointing oil in my Bible big enough to choke a horse. I'll bring down hellfire on you. Because I'm so good. That's the older son. That's the older son in this story. Which one are you? I know which one I am. I'm occasionally rebellious. 
I'm occasionally wasteful. Case in point, you know, I told you for a long time I didn't even do Facebook. And the reason I didn't do Facebook because it sucked and stole so much of my time, right? Y'all, y'all have heard me say that. And only about two or three months ago, I decided to check out Facebook again. And I thought I'd make it all cool by making sure that it was about turning bowls and making stuff and, and, and Bible. And then I realized I'm spending hours, hours I just I deactivated it again. Wasteful. I was being wasteful. I was prodigal in that setting. I'd rather be have recognition of my sins and have a willingness to fall on my face before God seeking repentance than to ever be this son who walks around like a holier than thou. So you gotta have the right balance. You don't walk around like this and you also don't walk around beating yourself up because you're such a sinner. I know I'm messing with some of you. I'm kicking your holy cows this morning. I just want to share with you, those are dead cows. You know what happens to a dead cow when it sits long enough? It rots. And stinks. And if you keep sitting on that dead cow, you're going to stink and rot too. Which brother are you? I better move to number four on the handout. (laughs) There's no sinner beyond the love, grace, mercy, and forgiveness found in Jesus Christ. And he delights when sinners repent. Amen. Amen. He does not delight when Rick Lopez chooses by his own volition to do something that he knows is not what God would want from him. God is not happy in his own heart. I'm not saying he's mad at Rick, but his heart breaks for what Rick is doing. And he delights when Rick comes to his senses and raises his head and says, Father, forgive me. I'm not even worthy to be your son, but thank you for Jesus Christ. And because of that, I am your righteousness. I know, it's almost like a juggling act sometimes. So just as the father welcomed the prodigal son home, he will also welcome you home. There's no sin that you've gone so deep in that he would never welcome you home. There's nothing that you could ever do that would cause him to drop his head and shake it back and forth in disgust and then reject you. It's not possible for him to do it to those who come to him with true contrition of heart and repentance. So when we sin, either in rebellion or in self-righteousness, which quite frankly I think is more dangerous because you don't even know. You think you're good. You're so self-righteous, you think you're holy just in yourself. I have a fairly good grip that they ain't much holy about Rick Lopez. But in the eyes of God, I am the righteousness of God. I don't totally get it, but I'll receive it. I don't have to understand it, but I'll sure receive it. Amen? So when we sin, either in rebellion or in self-righteousness, what we need to do is 
lift our heads, come to our senses, lift our heads, and you know what? Run to the Father. Run to the Father, not from Him. We so often try to avoid God when we mess up. And every one of us mess up. The sooner you get a grip on that, that Christians are not, should not be holier than thou individuals on planet earth. They should simply be people who recognize that they mess up, but they're covered by the grace of God. And they want someone else to enjoy this magnificent love and extravagant grace of God right in their mess. So God isn't surprised by your sin. It's not like, you know, you mess up one evening or something and up in heaven he's sitting on the throne going, oh my gosh, I can't believe Joel did that. His wife's like, yeah, I knew he did because I lived with him. But God's like, no. I, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> you know what God's doing? I'm picking on Joel. He's a good guy. He ain't even in the front row, Mike. I decided, to, I decided to reach back three rows. You know what God's doing? He's going, Joel, come, come to Papa's son. Come to Papa's son. It's like you do with your kids when your kids fall. You don't run over there and grab them by the scruff of the collar and kick them in the tail. I can't believe you fell. Don't ever do that again. What do you do? You pick them up and you, you wipe off the dirt. Come on. You clean them up and you check out their wound and you heal their wound. And you hold them and you love them. Then you kick them in the tail. <laughs> oh, thank you, Jesus. There was a point in my life where, and I didn't have notorious sin, egregious sin, and I didn't have self-righteousness, but the spirit of quit had overcome my thinking and my life. And I've shared with you all this story a few times. And I felt so unqualified to stand up here. And, to, and I still feel very unqualified to stand up here and preach this word. But at this particular point, I felt seriously unqualified because in my heart, I had quit. I no longer wanted to pastor. I no longer wanted to deal with people. I'd rather just deal with wood. Because it only ever gave me a splinter every now and then. And I, in my heart and in my spirit, I had quit. I hadn't said the words yet. But I was done in here. And it broke my heart. Because I knew there was a certain part of me, at least in Rick's opinion, that was now being disqualified to stand before God's people and share the word. And I went on a quest, and uh, I really went on this quest um, to heal that, to get myself, my, my, my joy of ministry back. Okay, I'm just confessing. I'm, we're all there, all right? So I remember that I didn't, want to, I didn't want to really talk as we sat around and everybody was talking and crying and sharing their junk. And, and I'm like, 
I don't want to do that. You know what that was? That was the older son. I don't want to do that. But I, in this quest, you, you have times where you go out and you spend time with the Lord, and I spent time with God, and then we came back, and God had already just been working on me and said, you have to confess this son. If you don't confess this, it will embed itself into your heart, and you're too proud to sit down. And you'll just keep ministering and pastoring with this cancer in your heart. I know I'm confessing, right? Now, just so you know, I got healed of that. All right? And so anyway, we get to my story. So we come back and we're all together. I must have been, I don't know, 30 guys there or something. I can't remember. And um, we come back for a time of worship. And what they would do, they didn't have a band or nothing. They would just put uh, music on. And then it was up to us to respond, position ourselves, take up our position, and wait upon God. Right, and so um, I came back from this this day out uh, in the woods, and I had already made my mind up. When I come back this evening for worship, I'm just going to fall on my face before God. And so I fell on my face before God, and this song came up. I'll try to read the lyrics to you without. I see. I can't even. I'm going to get emotional. So sorry. Because it spoke. God knows when to speak to you. If you will be like that tax collector, that notorious sinner who fell on his face and beat his chest and said, Father, forgive me. I'm a sinner. See, metaphorically, that's what I was doing. And I fall on my face and my spirit. I'm saying, Father, forgive me. I want to quit on you. Here's what, here was the... Uh, and I want to quit on you because I'm so bad. That was my heart. So I fell on my face and this song came up. And here's the lyrics. And the lyric line is, uh, is coming from a spontaneous song of God singing through the singer. Okay, so it was words from God. Are you hearing me? Uh, I, and I'm going to put my name on it. Hey, Rick, I knew what I was getting into when I called you. Now, the floodgates are already going, and it's the first line of the song. Hey, son, I knew what I was up to, and I knew what I was getting into when I called you. I knew what I was getting into when I said your name, but I said it just the same. I knew what I was getting into, and I still want you. I knew what I was getting into. I'm just a, I mean, I'm a blubber ball. I'm shooting snot rockets in the carpet. I mean, it's just, <laughs> I'm a mess. Then she sings, I knew what I was getting into, and I still chose you. I knew what I was getting into, and I still want you. I knew what I was getting into when I said your name, Rick, but I said it just the same. I knew what I was getting into. And the singer goes on to sing, and, and I'm not shocked by your weakness. And I'm not shocked even by your sin. And I'm not shocked by your brokenness. I knew what I was getting into, and I still want you. I knew what I was getting into, and I still like you. I knew what I was getting into, 
and I still chose you. Because only I can see the end from the beginning. And only I can see where this is going. And only I can see the end from the beginning. And I see in you the seeds of love. And I see in you strength when all you see is your failure and all you feel is ashamed. And I can see deeper than that. I know you better than that. See, Father didn't sit on the porch and hang his head in disgust. He got up. He met me at the end of the driveway. He just put his arms around me and he said, Hey, son, I know you're a mess. I still want you. I know you're a mess, but I still got a calling on your life. I know you're a mess, but you got work to do, son. So the song goes on. I knew what I was getting into when I called you. I knew what I was getting into when I said your name. I said it just the same. I knew what I was getting into, and I still want you. Boy, I needed to hear that. That particular season of my life. Because I felt like I was disqualifying myself. I knew what I was getting into, and I still like you. And then look what the Lord said in the song. Now, as far as I'm concerned, it was written for me. He says, you're only at the beginning. I had quit in my heart. And I'm on the floor just bawling my eyes out, soaking in these words. And then the song says, God says through the song, Rick, you've only just started. You've only just begun. And I know where you're going. All you can see in the moment is that you're hurting. All you can see in the moment is that you're aching. Hey, I knew what I was getting into when I called you. I knew what I was getting into and I still want you. I knew what I was getting into and I still like you. I knew what I was getting into when I called you. Praise team, come on up. So here's the next line as the praise team comes up. Now, again, I told you where I was at spiritually, mentally, emotionally. And I had already made the decision in my mind, I'm done. Unless something spectacular happens at this quest, I'm retiring. I'm finished. You ain't going to believe what the next line is. He says, just don't give up. And don't give in. If you don't quit, you win. If you don't quit, you win. Just don't give up and don't give in. If you don't quit, you win. You win. And God knew what I needed to hear in that moment and what some of you need to hear today. And he goes on to say in the song, everything's in my hands. It's going to be all right. Everything is in my hands. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. Everything is in my hands. It's going to be all right. It's going to be okay. And you don't have to pretend to be something that you're not. Because I know you better than that, Rick. Even better, even better than that. And you know how he finished this song just for me? Listen, my beloved. Last words of the song. Rocked my world. God met me when I was on my face 
recognizing that I was a sinner. That's where he meets us. When we are so contrite and so filled with remorse for our wickedness. But you can maintain your self-righteousness and not find yourself in a puddle of tears and walk away never experiencing the power of God in your life. Number five on your paper, as I close, and we get ready to worship just a little bit more, and then we'll go home. 11.32, we're doing all right. Number five is God isn't surprised by your sin. And there is no sin that he cannot forgive. He's already waiting for you. Just as he was waiting for me to find myself on the floor that day, I had to position myself to get into position to hear what God had to say to me that day. And I could have hung on to my pride, but I'm a pastor. I'm not supposed to be going through this stuff. What are people going to think of me? How's this going to map out? What will happen to my life? What will my kids think? I mean, the enemy's just all over me on like, better keep this on the down low. And some of you right now are in this room, whether the older son or the younger son, and you're thinking, I got to keep this on the down low. I don't want nobody to know. And I just wish you would fall on your face before the Lord in brokenness. In repentance, because the greatest thing we can do to position ourselves is to come recognizing that we're broken. You can't come to God recognizing that you're fixed. A broken vessel, if you have a broken vessel and you try to fill it with water, all the water leaks out of all the breaks and cracks, right? So what's it got to do? Stay under the fountain. Stay under the faucet so there's continuous flow of water, keeping it full, keeping it full, keeping it full. Some of you are broken and you're so broken and you've been broken for years and you've never fessed up to it. Some of you are here today, not by accident, but by design, because God wanted to say to you, I I knew what I was getting into when I chose you, and I still chose you. You needed to hear that story, and you needed to hear that uh, don't give up and don't give in, because I got this, I'll take care of it. If you'll just hang in there, you'll win, you'll win, you'll win. And for some others of you, it's just good to know that your preacher is human too. He's already waiting. He's already here waiting for you to come to him. And so I say to you today, to all of us, I don't care what position you are in this church. In fact, leaders, let me say this to the leaders here today. I I once had a pastor tell me, as he did an altar call, 
And he said, if you're a leader in this church and you're too prideful to come to the altar to repent of your sin, you've already been disqualified as a leader. So leaders, and I'm not saying I'm sitting up here going, our leaders are notorious sinners. Now I'm not saying that. I'm just saying leaders, if you've got stuff you're dealing with, do not let pride or self-righteousness overcome you and go, I, I can't run to the altar because then they're gonna know. And I lead an area of ministry and oh my God, then they're gonna know. on your face before God and beat your chest and say, Father, forgive me, I'm unclean. A man or a woman of many sins, forgive me. And here's the problem with most people, they don't get up from there feeling forgiven and then they carry it back with them. And you need to leave it there. I can tell you right now, I left that there on that floor. I'll never forget it. As long as I live my entire life, God meeting me with that song. So I say to you again today, as the title of my message is, Which Brother Are You? Repent and run home to your Father in Heaven. Last text, and then we're going to worship. And I will be inviting you to come to the altar. Acts chapter 2, verse 19 through 20. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord and he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. You know, Jesus was sent already. He gave his life on the cross of Calvary. But I can tell you right now that at that quest camp that day, laying on the floor with this song playing, Jesus came again, laid right down there on the floor with me, wrapped his arms around me. He says, son, you feel disqualified, but I don't see it. You're broken. That's okay. I can fix it. Don't give up. Don't give in. If you will not quit. Don't grow weary, Galatians 6 and 9. Don't, go, don't get tired of doing the right thing. Don't grow weary of well-doing, for you will reap in due season if you will not give up. So I'm going to open these altars even now. And it would be easy enough to do a formal altar call, which often are empty and useless. You don't, you don't get saved by shaking the preacher's hand. You don't even get saved by having the preacher pray over you. You get saved by falling on your face before God, recognizing which brother you are, and asking God to release you from that and to forgive you of it. And then you need to get up clean, knowing that you're clean, knowing that you're covered by the blood of Jesus Christ, until you make a mess again. Because that's what we do. Well, you think I've only made one mess in my life? O-M-G. May the Holy Spirit, Father, come before you right now and I ask by your great Holy Spirit that I know you're already convicting the hearts of both sons in the house today. And I ask that the, by your great Holy Spirit and the blood of Jesus that the enemy would take his hands off of them 
release them to run to you and ask for forgiveness and to find that love and find that forgiveness in you. Now, it would be easy for me to call the prayer team up here and have them be up here for to lay hands on you, but I believe this is an opportunity for you to come without the context of anybody but Jesus. So don't let pride stop you. Run to Jesus, and he'll meet you there. I promise you, he will meet you there.